0: Hello, and welcome back to another edition of Ed Choice Chats. This is Mike McShane, Director of National Research at Ed Choice. I am joined on the line today by my colleagues, Jen Wagner and Paul DiPerna, and we are talking polling. We had our most recent iteration of our public opinion tracker just released earlier this month, where we had both our general population survey. So for those of you that somehow have come across this podcast, but have not come across our earlier conversations related to this, Every month in partnership with Morning Consult, we poll a nationally representative sample of Americans about education issues. We also poll a nationally representative sample of teachers every quarter. And December happened to be where the stars align, where we both polled the nation and we polled the nation's teachers. So Jen, Paul, and I will be discussing today the results of both of these polls. So I will say here at the outset, We are not going to be able to cover everything that showed up in these polls. We could talk for hours about it, and while I think we would certainly enjoy that conversation, it's not clear that anyone else would. I don't know if that necessarily should stop us, but we're going to. So we're going to start by talking about the general population survey. We'll start with teachers, but we'll obviously always direct you to our website to get the full download of everything. As a reminder... We also publish all of the questionnaire questions as well as the cross tab. So if you're interested in drilling down to particular demographic groups or or others to understand how they answer these questions, all of that stuff is available. For those of you that are listening that are researchers, or if you're professors who have graduate students or undergraduates, there is a wealth of data that you all could use to do any number of interesting analyses and it is ripe for the taking. We in fact encourage you and hope that you do that. But getting all of that out of the way. Jen, you know, one of the questions that we've looked at time and time again, and is really, uh, you know, appropriate, we're recording this on Friday, January 8th, as schools across the country are sort of wrestling with questions of going back to the classroom. There is hope on the horizon, I think, you know, the sort of Christmas and New Year's was hopefully the kind of last gasp of mass gatherings that would potentially act as sort of nationwide super spreader events. We have a, a vaccine coming and a lot of our healthcare workers and elderly folks are starting to get vaccinated depending on how well, how competent your state is in actually executing these things. So we're having to wrestle with this question. Should students go back to school? What form should that look like? So one of the questions that we've been asking time and time again is asking parents um, if they are comfortable with their children going back to school. And we saw in this iteration of the survey, which went into the field um, before Christmas in December, that only forty two percent of parents said that they were comfortable sending their back to school, so that's a combination of very comfortable and somewhat comfortable. So the majority of parents are still not comfortable sending their children back to school. What do you make of that?
1: yeah, it's it's not a huge surprise. And I think, as you look back uh, over last year's polling, you know, there's a lot of concern. Parents are worried about their kids bringing the virus home. They're worried about, you know, obviously infecting other family members. So this one's not a huge surprise and not to, you know, discount our December numbers, but I'm very much looking forward to the January monthly update, because as you say, we've got a vaccine on the horizon. Hopefully a lot of school districts, I know our are, are school held back going back in person after the holidays for a week or two or three so that they could prevent any of those sort of family gatherings turning into to sp- spreading events and, and infecting a school or multiple schools. So I think I am cautiously optimistic that we'll see this number, you know, maybe tick over into the more comfortable zone as that vaccine is more widely available. But, you know, look, I mean, I still have concerns. My kids go back to school on Monday in person. I got COVID from school from a cute little eight year old who was completely asymptomatic. And, you know, he came home and gave it to everyone in the household except his 13-year-old sister. So there's a lot to be concerned about. That said, again, cautiously optimistic that we'll see this number changing in the coming months.
0: You know, Paul, another number that we've seen that has kind of bounced around was how the coronavirus has impacted people's opinions of homeschooling. So we've asked this question every month, how have your opinions on homeschooling changed as a result of the coronavirus? And, Back in March, it was at about 26 percent of respondents of school parents said they were much more favorable. It rose over the summer to up to, I think, 43 percent or so in July and has since kind of crested back down to 29 percent in the most recent iteration. How do you look at that trajectory? Was that Have we sort of regressed to the mean that sort of something happened this summer, and we can maybe expect this to level off where it is now. How do you interpret that?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, it does seem like maybe we are hitting some sort of equilibrium with the trend line, where it did spike over the summer, as you pointed out. And you know, through the course of the year, and I, and I wonder if this could relate back to what Jen was just talking about, in terms of people's experiences, You know, if there are some shifts to more School districts going to full-time in-person or more hybrid modes of schooling, and so that could have some impact in terms of how you know people are viewing that kind of schooling at home experience. And, that, and that's still, I, I think, I mentioned this the last time we were on a podcast together, where for this kind of question, I think it's a challenge just on polling, and I'd you know caution any of the listeners and we're teasing out what has been thought of homeschooling for a long time, traditional homeschooling, conventional homeschooling, and then what we have been calling remote schooling. And the difference is really about who has the control over the curriculum and the instruction at the home. And, and those things could be conflated a little bit in terms of like how people are responding one way or the other to this kind of question. So that, that just makes it that much more important for us to continue tracking this over time especially, hopefully,
0: that things go back to some semblance of normal for families and schools. Yeah, this remote learning question is an interesting one because we've also, we have also asked the question, how has your school or school district offers of virtual or remote learning as an option? Like, did your school offer that and did you choose it? And one of the things I found fascinating, so if we just look at, did your school district offer remote learning or if it didn't, of respondents had a choice, while only 22% did not have a choice. So virtual learning was on offer. Now, of those folks that had a choice, the majority uh, actually chose it. So they responded, yes, it's been an option and we chose to do it. Only 26% of overall respondents said that it was an option and they didn't choose it. Of those that didn't have a choice, about twice as many were required to just go remote. They didn't have an, an in-person option. And the smallest minority had children that were just required to go to school the whole time. So, I mean, Jen, that seems to me to kind of clash, I think, a bit with some of the, you know, you've heard a lot of the news media of like open or, or close, or we need people in school or not. I mean, it seems like folks have had choices. And to be honest, like a big group of people, even when they were given the choice, I I think it probably jives with our earlier look of just the level of comfort with folks going back to school. But, you know, a bunch of people actually had the choice and wanted their kids to stay home.
1: Yeah, I think that's an important distinction that you make between the data that we have here and the narrative on both sides that we've been seeing in the media. You know, you do have all these headlines of, you know, parents that are protesting because they want their kids back in the classroom, or you've also had plenty of headlines of uh, teachers, you know, concerned about going into the classroom, and I I know we'll get to teachers in a little bit. But yeah, I mean, our our data are pretty clear here. You know, you've got that 52% of the folks who did have that choice who opted for the online learning option. And then I think it is important to notice that very few, at least by my take, people were forced to do one or the other. And elsewhere in the data, if you go on our website and kind of dig deeper, you find, you know, a tremendous amount of support for choice-based on what parents got during the pandemic which for me is an opportunity as school choice advocates for us to continue that narrative and say hey you know what when the world turned to dirt you did have a choice and now that you know we're hopefully getting back on track in the next 6 months and things will go back to quote unquote normal you know don't you want to continue having a choice whether that's you know homeschooling online whatever it might look like but i think there's a real opportunity for us here as advocates to say look, yeah, your world got turned upside down, but having that choice was a very important thing for you in a time of need, let's keep it going.
0: Jen, you are nothing if not relentlessly on brand. And I've always appreciated about you. And I actually, the listeners can hear this, but I'm actually wearing an Ed choice t-shirt right now. So I think we're birds of a feather, right? But talking about school choice and choice options, I think it's really sort of buttressing the point that, that you're making there. You know, we ask this question how do you feel your child or children are progressing on the following this school year? We ask about academic learning, we ask about emotional development, and we ask about social development. And we look at the sort of percentage of people who say that they're doing very well. So they you know, their their progress, their academic progress has gone very well, their emotional development has gone very well, their social development has gone very well. And I think we see some substantial variation between different school sectors. So, Paul, can you maybe explain? that variation that we see, that pattern? Sure. So this is a, you know, a, a question that we've been
2: asking to some degree in some way for a while. And then we changed it up as this school year came on to ask about these th- like three dimensions, you know, there are three kind of areas of where parents feel how their children are doing academic learning, emotional development, social development and it's been pretty consistent that variation we we're seeing across school sectors where private school parents are more likely to say that their children are progressing and doing very well in terms of academics, emotional development, and social development. And about half of private school parents said that their children are doing very well academically, it was a little bit less 38% each for emotional development, and social development. that was the high across the sectors. And then what we see is that, by comparison, district school parents were the least likely to say that their children were doing very well along those three areas. About a quarter to one-fifth said that for academics, emotional, and social development. So we do see these differences in charter school parents, homeschool parents were somewhat in between, a little bit closer to what what the uh, private school parents were saying. That kind of variation has been consistent the last couple of months, something that we will continue to track through this coming year, and will be interesting just to see if, again, things start changing in the way district schools, private schools, charter schools are offering different types of modes of learning, if those are changing through the school year, maybe over the summer into next school year, how
0: these percentages may be changing based on responses of parents. Now, as if the, some of the stuff that we talk about isn't controversial enough, we also asked some questions about vaccines and some of the potential policies that could be related to vaccines, but I think also, importantly, just general kind of opinions that people have about the coronavirus vaccine and, and the role out there. So, Jen, I'm interested in, in your response to a couple of the questions that we asked. So, the first is that, We asked, when an FDA-approved vaccine to prevent COVID-19 is available, which it is, do you think it should be mandatory or encouraged for the following groups? We asked about teachers and staff in public schools and private schools. We asked about it for students. And then we also asked this question, if the FDA-approved vaccine to prevent COVID-19 was available right now, would you agree to have your child—we asked parents, teachers, and all adults— Would you agree to have them vaccinated? So I would be interested in sort of your takeaways from both of those, which is we asked people about their own personal opinions around vaccination, and we also asked them about policies and how that might intersect with schooling.
1: Yeah, I think here you see a lot of the, you know, are you going to get vaccinated numbers track in our poll with national polling that's been done by other polling outfits, AP and and others late last year and into this year. Well, you've got, you know, roughly half of people are right now considering getting the vaccine. I would guess that that number will go up as more people get vaccinated. There are understandably concerns about, you know, something that wasn't around ten months ago and now is, you know, being touted as a way to prevent getting COVID nineteen. So I think those numbers will change. I think the interesting thing about the numbers when it comes to the policy of mandating a vaccine is as it often does comes down to mandatory or optional. You know, if you put those two groups together, you've got an overwhelming majority of people who, you know, either support a mandatory or an encouraged vaccine. I think you see, you know, 20% to 24%, so one out of 5 or one out of 4 who, you know, don't want it to be encouraged or mandatory and, you know, that's probably to be expected, but I think the fact that you've got overwhelming support for either mandatory or encouraged, is something that's going to hopefully give parents and teachers uh, and students the, the peace of mind that they need as we get back to you know quote unquote normal. I think you know it, it shows a lot of uh, a lot of belief in science and and uh, the fact that we're hopefully turning a corner on on all this.
0: Yeah, this is going to be one of those numbers that's interesting to watch in the future because I think you're exactly right. As more people get vaccinated. I imagine public opinion will change, but maybe it won't. And that is a teaser for folks to continue to listen to our podcast and to continue to check these things out. So, Paul, I want to ask one last question about the general population survey, and I'm going to keep this sort of questioning to you because it will also be the first question in our teacher survey. But, you know, a classic question of polling is the kind of right track, wrong track. So, we yeah, ask. like, Do you feel that things in K 12 education are generally going in the right direction, or do you feel they've generally gotten off on the wrong track? So, we'll start with the general population and then maybe we can go into teachers. So, you know, we saw, I think, the highest numbers of this back in April, and we've seen a pretty steady decline, you know, with some smaller bumps in there since then. So, how do you read the kind of broad trajectory that we look at from sort of January to December throughout the course of 2020 about how people see the direction? That the American education system is going.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, at the risk of putting out a series of numbers over a podcast, it is helpful to look at what we were seeing before the pandemic and then at the height of where we saw the right direction and like how, you know, how it's progressed over time. So, in last January, a year ago, we saw that about one third had a positive sentiment or they thought things were going in the right direction in our district. Only 22% said that nationally.
0: So and we should say this is the, this is the general population.
2: This, this is American. the general population, yeah, all adults. And then we saw that climb steadily from January up to April. And that that was the peak in our trend lines, where we saw almost half having a positive view of the direction locally, 46%. And then the climb was about 14 points on the national numbers and how people felt things were going nationally. So that got up to 36%. And then since then, though, we have seen a kind of slow decline over the summer and then into the early fall, early school year months. And so in October, the number stood 40 percent, having a positive view locally, 33 percent positive nationally. But then we saw a pretty significant dip from October to November, and we saw it go down at least by seven points, as much as 10 points nationally from October to November and then some stabilization since from November to December. And so where the numbers, they they wiggled a little bit, up a point, down a point, depending on kind of the view locally, statewide or national. But it'll be interesting to see where things go going through the rest of the school year and where we've already talked about a couple of times, you know, the X factor of vaccine implementation and also, you know, and how that might change perceptions. And then, and then as well as any types of changes in policy locally or at the state level over the next six months and how that might also change perceptions about right direction, wrong track. And so, as you said, this is something we've been asking in our national and state polling for many years, and it's something that we will definitely
0: continue to track monthly among adults and the general public, but then also uh, quarterly among teachers. Yeah, and so the teacher thing is sort of interesting because, I mean, if we look at the exactly the description that you had of our general population. Now, part of this is a little different because we obviously have 12 sort of snapshots, and for the teachers, we just have four. But when I look at the general population survey, I think of like, you know, if you were skiing or snowboarding, that's like a double black diamond, right? It's like ups and downs and and, and zigs and zags and whatever. When we look at the teacher numbers, it's kind of like a gently sloping, what, what are the easy ones? The green right? The ones that are like a football field wide and have kids just like yard sailing all over the place. Because it, as I see it, it's just a very gentle, not not a, not a massive one, but it just sort of teachers saying that the education system is the right direction throughout the course of this year has just sort of s- slowly trended downward. Maybe you could explain better than I am of, of what those numbers look like and what you think's happening there, Paul.
2: Yeah, sure. So the, yeah, the trend lines do look a lot more gradual when looking at the trends among the general public or among parents. And uh, and part of that is that we just, you know, we have four points in time where we have data. And it almost seems, you know, that the teacher views are a little bit more positive generally than where the public is. It is important to note, though, so from our September polling to our December polling, there was a pretty good amount of decline. So minus six points about how teachers felt things were going in their districts, uh, minus seven points statewide. And then there was a drop of 11 points on how teachers saw things nationally. And so that's a very significant drop. And that stood out to me on this question, uh, how teachers felt things were going nationally through the course of the school year so far. Yeah. So we'll see also how teachers, who will be the vaccination plans. I mean, they're big consideration of, you know, being one of the first phases of who are vaccinated. And there's still a lot of discussions about some of these bigger urban districts and going back either hybrid or in-person. And so all that, those decisions and the implementation in coming months will have an impact on teachers as much as the general public, or even more so, I would imagine, on teachers.
0: We'll see. Yeah, Paul, that's a really important point, I think, that you make in interpreting these numbers of folks who are looking at the slides that we put out to look at that number on the y-axis. because while those numbers have been declining, they started from a much higher baseline. So it's right to just in general, teachers see schools heading in a better direction than the national population does. So even when they lose a little bit, they still are, are more optimistic than than the general population. And so, Jen, I mean, a, another kind of interesting comparison question to ask here, we asked parents how comfortable they were sending their children back to school. We asked teachers as well. So how comfortable are you in returning to school? And we asked this sort of by school type, we asked by how long they'd been teaching. When you look at those numbers, what do you see?
1: Yeah, this one was really interesting to me because there was a much higher percentage of private school teachers who were expressing concern about returning to school in person right now you know, than there were in the district and, and charter school teachers. And I'm honestly kind of not sure why that is. Maybe it tracks with the the length of teaching experience. You also saw in those numbers, this was a little bit more to be expected. Some of the teachers who've been teaching for 20 years or more expressed a great deal more concern about going back in person than some of those younger teachers. And I mean, to me, you know, reading between the lines, that probably just is is related to age um, and the fact that the older you get, the more susceptible you are to COVID-19 and having it be more serious than if you're in those younger age groups. But I would love to probe more and learn more about why the private school teachers were less comfortable going back in person than district and charter school teachers.
2: Yeah, just to follow up real quick on um, what Jen was say, I, I, and I,
1: yeah, completely agree. And and I think you really pointed out
2: something that is worth you know, the attention and looking at these subgroups of the teacher sample. So looking at where they're teaching in the district schools, charter schools, private schools, and then other types of demographics by age, income uh uh, you know and other other types of uh, demos and because there is a good bit of variation and the private school numbers did surprise me and i just also wasn't really sure exactly how to interpret that and also it is interesting to see that generally when you're looking at the full teacher sample and how that percentage 48 percent, who said that they were uncomfortable is a little bit lower than for the parents and the
0: general public And so that also kind of stood out and was a little bit unexpected from what I could tell. Yeah, one of the numbers, I mean, obviously, many of these numbers have been a huge bummer. But one of the numbers that has been, I think, really disappointing, to be perfectly frank about it, as we've been tracking this, is we asked the question of teachers, how prepared do you feel to facilitate online learning, you know, also known as e-learning, remote learning, or virtual learning? And one of the things that has continued to shock me is the lack of change that we have seen in those numbers in some sectors, not in all sectors, which is sort of worth talking about, but even the the sort of quote-unquote growth we've seen in these numbers hasn't really been that impressive. I mean, just to look at them, for all teachers, when we asked back in March, how prepared are you, the percentage of people who said very prepared was only 26%. Now, some were higher, private school teachers and, and charter school teachers were higher up in the mid-30s, and traditional public school teachers were lower at so 21%. But look, that's to be expected, right? This is new. Haven't done it before. Fair enough. It is, was that, nine, 10 months later at this point? And when we asked the question of all teachers, remember in March, it was 26%. It's only 28% now. We asked about traditional public school teachers. It went from 21% to only 23%. Amongst private school teachers, it went from 35 to only 38%. Now, charter school teachers, I think, did the best, going from 35 to 44%. Um. But even then, I mean, like, the movement isn't, Huge. Jen, what do you, what do you make of this?
1: Yeah, this one was really surprising to me as well, especially given that we, you know, we bridged a school year between the beginning of the pandemic and where we are now. So these districts, Thank you, Jen, thank <laughs> I mean... you for
0: highlighting that we had this thing called the summer, Summer. conceivably some of these problems could be worked out. I'm on a soapbox. I'm going to climb off now.
1: No, no. And you're, I mean, you're a former teacher. You, you're you absolutely glad to be on that soapbox. And as a parent, I mean, I will say, Just speaking from my personal experience, and I know, Paul, you've obviously had the the hybrid and the e-learning experience in a public school. We're in a private school, and it did get better. But to be perfectly honest, my kids' teachers are still exasperated. They're still trying, especially my third grader, like, God bless her. She tries to corral 18 souls on a Zoom screen three times a day, and you can just see how exhausting that is for her. And so I, I feel for all these teachers. I also though don't know what else could be done. because to your point, Mike, we've got you know, people who've never done this before, teachers who are used to teaching in a classroom, kids who are used to being in a classroom. So I wonder how much of this, you know, reflects a missed growth opportunity, a missed opportunity to to learn better, how to remote learn, and how much of it is just, you know, this was an impossible feat and not much more could have been done to prepare. So now,
0: Paul, we also asked questions like we did in the general population survey about academic learning, emotional development, social development for students. But in this case, we looked from the teacher's perspective. Could you maybe walk through those numbers and, and what you see them saying? Sure. So it's similar to the, what we
2: I mean, just talked about with the general public, where A higher percentage of private school teachers say that their students are doing very well along those dimensions of academic learning, emotional development, social development. But the charter school teachers, that proportion of charter school teachers is a lot closer. And in the case of the emotional development question and indicator, they're actually higher than private school teachers in terms of saying that their students are progressing very well all these percentages and proportions are less than a third. So that, I think that also needs to be stated that, you know, that this is still less than a third. It's a minority of the teachers they are reporting their students are doing very well. So that is just like, I mean, that's a bright light in and of itself uh, across the board. But when speaking in relative terms, I mean, it does look like private school teachers, charter school teachers have a relatively more positive uh, an optimistic view of how their students are doing compared to district teachers who it's one out of 10 district teachers are saying that their students are doing very well on academics or emotional development or social development. And that would be another huge bright you know, light and signal. I think at least suggestive of asking questions about what do we need to do to advance and to support students and so support teachers to help students along these three areas. So, that, so yes, the, those the, the numbers are inter- really interesting. It's something that we'll continue to track to throughout the pandemic and then after the pandemic to see how those trend lines maybe change uh, over time.
0: Yeah. So we also asked vaccination questions, though I think you know we kind of covered that earlier. But just to get the the sort of top line numbers out of that it appears that teachers are more likely to say that both they would agree to be vaccinated and they would agree to have their children vaccinated. So 64% of all teachers said that they would agree to be vaccinated while it's only 46% of all adults and 48% of school parents. And when it comes to vaccinating their children, 51% of teachers said that they would while only 38% of all adults would, though 45% of school parents would. But Jenna, I'm actually interested in, in another question that we asked and this will be the sort of maybe last thing that that we talk about related to these things, but just talking about sort of, Paul gave a very good segue to this. And so I think it's worth really into, but just sort of teacher satisfaction, right? So when you ask a net promoter score question, and so maybe Jen, you could start by explaining to people what a net promoter score is, because I think that'd be helpful for, for them to understand it. And, you know, across all school types we see a smaller percentage of what, you know, what is called promoters. So, we, I mean, we see just just less sort of happiness, <laughs> less satisfaction with teaching uh, in December than, than we did in March. If, so maybe you could start by saying what's a net promoter score and then what those numbers say to you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the net promoter score is something that I think we've done a really good job of incorporating into our research um, over the years, not just during the pandemic and not just through the tracker. It comes from the consumer side of data collection. And it basically is a very simple question of, you know, on a scale of one to 10, you know, would you recommend this thing to someone else? In this case, this thing is the teaching profession. And, you know, it's worth noting that, you know, teachers are not always the best net promoters of their profession prior to the pandemic. But this is this is a pretty significant slide from where we were back in March to where things came in December um you've got you know just 29% of teachers would give a 9 or 10 net promoter score to the teaching profession uh, if they were to recommend it to a friend or family member that's that's less than 1 out of 3 it's not good um you do see some some differences obviously between the schooling types um, obviously you've got private school teachers and charter school teachers up significantly higher at 45 and 42% net promoter and district teachers down at 23% and all of those have seen a a decline from the outset of the pandemic, and I think this reflects, you know, a lot of what we've talked about here. Is you know, teachers are being asked to do a lot more than they usually do uh, in difficult circumstances with kids who may or may not have access to technology. That's something we've asked in in prior polls that may or may not, you know, have access to decent Wi-Fi and can't get onto these meetings. We've got kids who I mean, we've literally lost, you know. Like more than a million kids out of the system, we don't know where they are. And you know that's a lot to bear. And educators, you know, I'm the product of two of them, already had a lot to bear before all of this hit. So it's not surprising, but I do wonder what the long-term effect of these numbers will be on our ability to continue to recruit high quality educators into the classroom after all of this is said and done.
0: Yeah, and when we look at the sort of timeline of this, it is funny, again, as you mentioned, as a as a former teacher, you know, so the, our numbers were highest in March, they went down in June, and then you saw, like, teachers had, like, the summer, and so they were more likely to be promoters in September, and then these dark days of December, they've gone back down. So maybe it'd be interesting if there's some kind of seasonality to this as well, because I get that, that last sprint before Christmas, and we're asking... Uh, asking teachers what they think about the place, and they're looking for the exits. And so, yeah, I mean, look, I do want to say, because, Jen, I think this is exactly right, we also had an open-ended option. And I think that while I wish we could end on perhaps a happier note, I mean, I think it is worth saying, you know, just sharing some of these things that teachers have said. So of those teachers who who said that they were, you know, thinking that they might leave the profession, we asked this question, why have you considered leaving the profession or retiring after this year, you know? And these are, I'm just going to read some some direct quotes, right? COVID-19 has changed education. I think there's no going back to normal. This made teaching extremely hard. COVID has made everything so much more difficult. I was already contemplating retirement. This made it clear that it's time. It's too stressful, and there's not a lot of respect. Teachers are still taking the brunt of the criticism, working more hours. or not being compensated as they should. The requirements for teachers continue to grow and expand while the pay continues to freeze or decrease. I'm expected to take care of the students' emotional, behavioral, and academic needs with no help from parents or the administration. And finally, you know, teachers are, teaching is getting harder and harder each year. They put more demands on teachers and less and less responsibility on the kids and parents. You know, you two are on the sort of other side of this and then you you are parents on that. Maybe, I mean, I'd be interested sort of in, in, in both your sort of views of, of these same things, but also in your kind of reactions to what we hear teachers saying here. Yeah, so November and December we had some parent-teacher meetings over Zoom, <laughs> and
2: so we've been very fortunate with the teachers and even some other support aides and therapists at the school for our daughters, and th- and they've been like a wonderful team to work with, and it's very much you have that feel of the team going into those meetings. But you can see though that there is stress. I mean, it, a huge amount of stress, and not even at all in a complaining way, but the way they would dis- even describe how some of the, you know, the operations are going and just, the, and just like the, their daily routine of what they need to do. They might present it in a matter of fact way, but then my wife and I would be kind of like, wow, you know, this is how, how do you, how do you manage, you know, students in your classroom and students on Zoom at the same time by yourself and try to, you know, teach, teach that way and, and, and to make, you know, to make sure everybody's paying attention and keeping, you know, students engaged. You know, try to you know motivate students and and to you know instill you know some kind of love of learning. Uh, I mean, that, those are all you know big tall orders, in the, and so it is going to be something to watch out for with these kind of different points of stress and uh, other demands that are being put on teachers and uh, over time. And if it changes at all, and if these open ends change, that'll be interesting. Uh, you know, if we see other kind of issues or, uh, you know, topics kind of emerge, that's something that we want, we would definitely like to track. But yeah, so that's just based on our experience that we've had with our girls teachers.
1: And, and I think from, from my perspective, again, as a parent of an eighth gr- or seventh grader, sorry, she'll be in eighth grade soon, which is also terrifying. And a third grader, I mean, you've just, you've just seen it. I've, you know, I, uh, one of us sits with the third grader on all of his Zooms because he has ADHD. And if you leave him alone, the ADHD takes the wheel and drives. So, you know, we get to kind of see inside that classroom experience, that virtual classroom experience where a lot of other parents, I think, are are more comfortable having their kiddos sit alone with the teacher. And I, I remember one morning, and this was right before Christmas, Mike, to your point that, you know, you're just looking for that that glide path to the holidays. But, you know, his teacher got on and she's, she was just exasperated. She just was going in a million different directions, and she's like, I had two cups of coffee, and my day was going really well. And then I logged on to Zoom, and I, all I could do was just feel for her, you know. Because normally you're in a classroom and you can talk to the kids, or you can, you know, take one out in the hallway and talk to him or her separately, and, and you can't do that in this format. And similarly, with the older kiddos, you know, some of their teachers have adapted really, really well, but some of them are still laying on the same amount of work and the same amount of, of learning without the ability to follow that up and, and explain things. And you know, it's just as exhausting for the students as it, as it is for the teachers. And with that retirement issue that came up in the open ends in our survey, I have to wonder if we're gonna see a massive wave of retirements after the 2020-21 school year, and you know, what fills that in? Are we going to have a bunch of bright-eyed, bushy-tailed young teachers who are really eager to get into the profession, or are people going to to continue to, to kind of give it a second thought and and you know debate whether or not they want to pursue teaching as a career.
2: Yeah just and just quickly follow up with that because we did ask a question, Jen, as you were alluding to about, you know, leaving the profession. And and you know, it is and, and the numbers that we're seeing are at least right now somewhat consistent with what we've asked in other polling and also others like Pew Research even about a year and a half ago asked questions about retiring or leaving the profession. And so what what we saw is that teachers under 55, more than half said they've considered leaving the teaching profession in the last three months. And then among those teachers, 55 and older, uh, we asked about retirement and 63% said that they've considered retiring in the last three months. And so, uh, so that's another, especially through the course of the school year, like it, we'll have to track that and see you know, how the pandemic and all the stressors associated with their school year and the pandemic and how that might be affecting those kinds of considerations. And And then that has implications, like you pointed out, about retention and recruitment and those kinds of things that, you know, the people thinking about public policy and and, you know, in ed schools and other kinds of, you know, training organizations, you know, what they're going to have to think about and, and school districts and schools and how they recruit. Um, so there's just, yeah, there's a lot that we'll have to look into.
0: Well, Jen, Paul, it's been a pleasure as always. As always, listeners, I'll also direct you to our website. So if this just sort of got you interested or you want to dig into these numbers even more please head to the website to check out. Like we said, we have the full presentation of both our general population survey as well as our teacher survey, all the crosstabs, the survey instruments, everything. We look forward to talking to you next month when we have another iteration of the general population poll. And in a couple months, when we have more teachers to chat with. But until then, thanks for listening. And we look forward to talking to you again on another edition of EdChoice Chats.